Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Oh, we are live. I am back. Ryan just got back from a dinner, so I see you there, Ryan. You take a minute, set yourself up, Ryan. Let me know when you are ready, and I'll bring you back on. But get yourself set up. You can, Ryan, you can hear me, right? Nod if you can hear me. It's not, not nodding yet, so he's having issues with his headphones. That's all right. So in the meantime, while he's fixing that up, I'm going to show you guys some cards that I got. We're waiting for Ryan ryan nolan to join us and then the interesting about ryan nolan number one he's got his he's got a youtube channel breakout cards which is pretty awesome i love what he's doing with it and um he's named after nolan ryan except his name is ryan nolan so i'll let him tell that story a little bit i'm watching him in the corner he's still getting himself fixed up let me know if you can hear me ryan can you hear me he's not showing me so i'm going to show you guys some cards i showed these on instagram the last couple of days i'm going to share a few cards that i picked up at my local lcs because I think all four cards are pretty awesome. Ryan, if you hear me, let me know. Give me a nod if you hear me. I'm kind of going to multitask here, guys. So Panini National Treasures 2013-14, they did a flawless set in there. Cards with diamond, little diamonds in them. And um, I've had one for a while, but I never had this one. This is the Stanley Cup card that they put out in this product. And it's unnumbered. I believe it was an Easter egg of a card. And there's only five of them made. There's a one-on-one parallel as well, but I managed to find this just on the shelf at uh, Eastridge Hobbies the other day, and I picked this up from Mike there. Really neat card from my miscellaneous-type collection. It'll go really nice with the Stanley Cup hologram from 91 Pro Set. He also had this card, which is from the... It says 2014 on the back, but this product wasn't released until about 1516. It's from the Team Canada Master Collection. It's a Sidney Crosby winning standard jumbo patch out of 10 nice three color patch so i bought this from him as well and there's two graded cards that i'm going to show you in a moment but i i love that card it's just i think it's beautiful so i i could not leave it behind i had to make it mine and i did two graded cards which one will i show for i'll show that there's and they're like two of the best players ever and if you follow me on instagram you saw these today i put them up there i picked up this I see, I see you, hockey guy. I, this Wayne Gretzky Golden Touch. This is from 2012 Fleer Retro. Ryan, can you see me and hear me? Can you see? Yeah, you go. Okay, okay. I'll bring you on one sec. Wayne Gretzky Golden Touch Fleer Retro, an homage to the 97 Golden Touch from basketball. I love this card, PSA eight, but it's a beautiful eight. I'm finding that, I'm finding that low, you know, lower grade cards. Cards that you would expect to be 10s are now, some of them are in nine holders, some nine seem to be in eight holders. 
I don't really care. It's, you know, you get to have the card and you're, you might get to pay less for it. So I guess subbers don't love it as much, but it might work well for buyers. And then I also pick up this one, the Mario Lemieux Essential Credentials Future. This card is numbered out of 37 on the back. And it's it's made, it's got my favorite, my favorite uh, structure of a card is where you have like die cut, die cut cardboard on an acetate backing or die cut acetate on cardboard. I love that combination. And that's what this one is. So it's, you can see it's like see-through here, but not on that side. Acetate there, cardboard there. You can see that, you can see, even see the edge of the cardboard die cut. And then on the back, it's numbered out of 37. Really cool. Happy to have bought those from Mike at Eastridge. All right. There we go. Killed the time. Let's bring out Ryan Nolan from Breakout Cards. Ryan, how you doing, buddy? Good. How about yourself? I'm going to move my mic. Hold on. There we go. Yeah, get that orientation. Oh, it's not cooperating with me. It's okay. We, you, I'll you just keep it there vertical. You can stay skinny. That's all right, too, man. There we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. I was, trying work, I was trying to work the iPad, and it just wasn't connecting to the Wi-Fi here. No worries. Well, we're good now. We have we have good connection. I love it. So listen, I mean, you're where I want to be right now. You're in Dallas. You uh, you ended up staying an extra night for reasons maybe we'll get into. But um, why don't you first tell tell the sports cards live audience a little bit about uh, what your angle in the hobby? What do you collect, and what's your what's your YouTube channel all about? Yeah. So hey guys, thanks for joining on the stream. I know it's late uh, Saturday, but uh, my name is Ryan Nolan. I run Breakout Cards, my YouTube channel. And uh, every weekend, I go to a different card show throughout the country. So last weekend, I flew up to Wisconsin to go to the Wiz Dells show. This weekend, I was at the Dallas card show. And then next week, I'm going to be going to a local card show, probably in Tampa or in Jacksonville. Every single weekend, I'm traveling to a different show. And it's a lot of fun. Um, each show has their own different techniques and everything like that. A Dallas show, you have a lot of really, really high-end items, a lot of slabs versus a show like Wisconsin where it's a lot of vintage that is still raw. And you see that throughout the different markets and different type of dealers that are there. Uh, besides doing different types of card show videos, I also have a lot of informational type videos on my channel. Every Friday, I have an episode of Spotting Fakes where I go out there and show people how to identify fakes on some of the most common fake cards in the hobby. And then throughout the week, I also upload... Uh, different videos on the history of cards and then also what is going on with the baseball card market. Awesome. And what do you collect, man? Cause I mean, yeah, tell, tell everybody what you collect. Yeah. So looking at my age, most people would probably think I collect like modern basketball or modern baseball, but I collect pre-war cards along with the modern stuff. So I'm going to go over some of this stuff in a little bit, but I'll just show you, I have two cards right here, which I'll go over the deals, but you have like a Walter Johnson right here from T206. And then you have a CJ Abrams from 2019, who's one of the top prospects. So I literally have hundreds of years of different cards. I mean, I have cards from 2021 and 1887. So that's, I collect quite a bit. That's just like me, man. You know, I, I say that I collect from 1888. This is my oldest card to 2021. So you, you're, we have that in common. And I, of course, you know, I, I like you because of that. You remind me a bit of myself that way. So that's really it's cool. Fun. Before you show any any other cards and talk about your your deals at the Dallas show. Um, tell us a bit about uh, tell us a bit about the show itself because you know obviously I would love to have been there. I know there are a lot of other uh, content creators there, yourself included, a lot of friends that I've been fortunate enough to make over the past year, couple of years, just through doing this through Instagram. 
I really wanted to be there, but I, I couldn't. I couldn't cross the border. So what's what has been at the at, actually is it is it over? Is it on tomorrow too, or is it done now? So yeah, it is still on tomorrow, and I will be there for the last day of coverage. I don't know if I can afford any more cards, so I'm gonna try to maybe make a trade, but I will be there for the last day. And I know a lot of dealers ended up packing up, but Sunday's the best day for deals. So so what's the vibe, the energy been like in the room for the past three days? So it's been a lot of high energy. Last few shows, a lot of people really haven't been buying a lot of cards. So I've been hearing from a lot of dealers. People I think have been holding back. But this show, so many transactions are going down. I mean, I saw multiple five-figure deals in front of me. I mean, within like the first 30 minutes there, I saw a $30,000 transaction uh, just for vintage cards. And someone was just buying a few or uh, like three or four different sets from the 60s, which is really insane with that. Um, but even like the high-end cards, I know a few dealers that deal with modern basketball and high-end baseball, and they pretty much sold out a lot of their inventory. So I think the buying side is back and a lot of people were really afraid of that, um, but it's back there. One thing I also noticed at this show um, compared to the last few Dallas shows is there's so many more cameras. There's so many more people that are starting YouTube channels, trying to go out there on Instagram and showcase the show itself. Um, and a lot of people, there's a few different card show YouTubers, whether it's like Sasha T or like Santiago sports or myself that are out there, they're going to shows, but now you have almost, I'd say probably one out of like 20 or 30 people now have a camera there or trying to vlog their different deals, trying to say, Oh guys, welcome to the Dallas card show. This is what I can get. So I, I noticed after that first wave of people, now there's that second and third wave they're trying to get into the YouTube space. And how many of these people have a separate person as a cameraman? Like, you know, it's one thing and I'm not, I'm not judging, but it's, it's, I've noticed more of it. You know, it's one thing to have your own camera and maybe set it up on a, you know, I often use, where do I have one? I, I, I'll often use, put my, my phone on a, you know, on a little card holder and then it just, you know, it sits, it'll sit really nicely on there and you can just let the camera roll or just, you know, have your phone on, on your holder. But I think, I think more and more people now are, are bringing with or asking a friend to come and basically film them at the show. Can you speak to that at all? Did you see a lot of that happening? Yeah. So with the more established YouTubers, I see that happening with every, a lot of the people that have, let's say five or 10,000 subscribers have additional cameramen. And there's even one YouTuber that had only like 500 subs and they had like a film studio setup. They had someone with like the huge microphone walking around. They had a whole sound guy and everything. And I, I was asking about their channel and they had like 300 subs. I was like, my God, you're doing this production quality that away. And that was going to be their first card show video. So I'm noticing that happening a lot. For me personally, I like doing it as a vlog style. If I have someone else helping me out, I appreciate it, but I like doing that first person point of view, showing everyone like, all right, this is me right here. I don't have a camera guy. And then showing the, the POV of me making those transactions at that time. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's go to some comments and then we're gonna get into something else. Uh, this was a comment from me going live in a minute. We were a little bit behind. <laughs> yes, sorry guys. What, 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 it's okay, buddy. but. Why would I show my own comment? Just, just, it's just silly, Jeremy. It's just been silly. Okay, Matthew Jones, thank you. But I was actually talking to Ryan. But that's okay. I appreciate it, Matt. You've been very helpful tonight too, Matthew. <laughs> much, you're, you're much appreciated. Hockey guy says Jeremy about to show off his Vince Neal rookie card. <laughs> no, those are hockey cards tonight, there, Chris. But thank you, thank you. He, he knows I do have a Vince Neal card too. Dennis, glad to have you back. Terry, thank you for the Stanley Cup card uh, compliment. Thank you, MMA on the Crosby. What Crosby? Oh, I don't even know what Crosby you showed. This one. Oh, that's a sick patch right there. The Team Canada Master Collection. Oh. 
at Wisconsin, you should saw this guy's display. He had a bunch of the cup RPAs of Crosby and Ovechkin. He had the one-on-one logo mans of Ovechkin. And I was just sitting there. I was like, my God, I have never seen that nice of a hockey collection. I know that that's Anthony Swiatek with, he's there with his boys. He's been, he's been doing yeah. this job for about 10, 12 years now. And, uh, I've, I've, yeah, I, he, he's a friend of mine. I've known him for a long time and uh, I've seen his cards and he, one of his Crosby's he bought from me several years ago. So yeah, really? yeah, yeah. I've known Anthony for a while. Uh, collection SML team can't thank you. Yeah. Very underrated for sure. And it, that the card, the, the set that this came out of, you had to buy, it was a, one of those wooden boxes for like $2,000 where you get the whole base set, you get the whole Jersey set, and then you'd get some hits as well. And this would have been one of the extra hits. So I was just happy to be able to get it loose and, you know, not have to open up that, that $2,000 box. Although nowadays two grand is what a normal hobby box goes for. So it wouldn't, it, it's much more palatable now than before. Hello, sports cards review. Chris says, buy the card, not the grade when it's rare. Yeah, you know, when it's rare, even like, like this is a nine, which is a pretty high grade for credentials, but like out of 37, it doesn't matter what the grade is, really. Just buy the card. You don't, you don't have many chances to get it. Our guy, Joe Joe Perot, Big Train Portrait, one of my favorite favorites, the Matthew Absolutely. Uh, the, the Walter Johnson, very much. Peeps, good evening to you. Billy J, great. Thank you. You're welcome, Pete. Uh, Billy J, thanks for joining. Ben Carlos in the house, everybody. Missed the headliner. Made it to the after party. Great to have you, Ben. Had fun on your pre-show earlier tonight. Terry Fortune says that's Anthony with the that, that you were talking about. Willie T, any love for hockey cards at the Dallas show? Great question. What can you tell us about that, Ryan? Honestly, there was only like two display cases with hockey. It was very, very minimal. Uh, one guy that had hockey had a bunch of hockey, uh, mostly slabs with a lot of young guns with there. Um, but that was about it. I actually saw a lot more at the Wisdell show, um, but, but again, that was farther up north compared to Dallas. Yeah, exactly. Big unit makes a very astute comment. 2K is a box of top <laughs> now. For sure, for sure. And Kyle Brown, excited for this conversation. I really enjoy Ryan's perspective on vintage cards and why it makes sense to collect them, plus his YouTube channel is a must-watch. I Thank agree, you, Kyle. Ryan. We're going to get into that in a second. It. Yeah, Colin Murray, good evening to you, my friend. So, Ryan... Let's talk about how did you end up on the show tonight? Tell tell the story from your perspective, how you ended up here. Yeah, honestly, I reached out over Instagram. I mean, I've seen a few sports cards live and I was like, hey, I want to join on the podcast. Do you have any available spots? And then yeah. jumped in a call and you're like, okay, you're good to go. I had my setup back at home. I'm still in Dallas right now. So originally I was supposed to fly back home at four o'clock today, get back at like eight or nine and then watch the pre-show and get prepared uh, for the final show. And then I got an email from Rich Klein and also sports card investors. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. And that's why I'm still in Dallas today. Yeah. You had, you had events to go to. So, but yeah, so my perspective was I get, I get a, an unsolicited message on Instagram from this Instagram account says, Hey, I've, I've got a channel. I'd like to, uh, can I come on your show? And I'm like, well, I, you know, usually I'm reaching out to people. It's kind of awkward. But I said, and I don't think I got back to you for a couple of weeks. I, I did, but yeah. I, I got back to you and I said, well, you know, I'll entertain the idea, but I want to understand who you are first. So let's, let's hop on, meet me in the studio. We'll have a little meeting and, you know, I'll decide from there. So we did. And I, I got, and I think I told, I really enjoyed it, man. I, I, I think you got a good approach. I think you're, you're an up and comer, you know, 
not not as far as YouTube goes, but as far as collecting, you, you're a young guy. You're collecting 1800s to the to the 2020 20, to 2021, just like I do. And so, I liked you pretty quick, man, and I like your approach. So I thought, yeah, let's do it. Let's let's come on after hours and talk a bit of hobby. So here we are, and we planned it. We it was planned to be now because I thought, well, that'll be great. You'll be at the show, and we'll be able to talk about the Dallas show. So absolutely, I'm glad to have you, man. And I've watched a lot of your videos, and I they are must watch, as was said earlier, as Kyle Brown said earlier. So guys, check out his channel, Breakout Cards, give him a subscribe, all that kind of stuff, and um, because he does cover a lot, and uh, you're, you're taking a good approach. So anyway, thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah. So anything else you want to add about anything you want to talk about? Actually, what we'll do is I'm going to do a few more comments, and then then let's talk about what you've done at the show so far and then we'll talk about tonight okay sounds good to me all right perfect so peeps wants to know did you notice a significant increase in sgc slabs at the show honestly i don't really look at each slab company for me personally as long as it's by a reputable company i just buy the slabs so i kind of zone out whether it's a bgs slab or sgc or a csg or a psa the only company I really didn't see at all was CSG. And I know a lot of people have been sending in things. Maybe they just didn't work their way to Dallas. Um, but there's a good mixture of Beckett Slabs, also SGC, and then PSA. Fair, fair. Bobby Burrell is back for part two. Good evening, Bobby. There we go. PSA Slab guy. Did you? Uh, this is a question for you, Ryan. Did you enjoy Dallas or the Wisconsin Dells show more? I was at the Dells. The venue seemed to be a lot nicer. All right, so the Dell's venue, yes, it is a lot nicer than uh, the Dallas show. Dallas show is all concrete on the floor. Dell's is in a literally a resort, and it's nice carpet floor, really, really awesome convention center. Dallas is not. Dallas is a larger show. You'll find a more of a variety at Dallas. I mean, there's people that are selling OJs here all the way up to your new prism in 2021. Wiz Dell's show has a lot more wall cards. And along with vintage. Now, I really like vintage, so I was able to make some deals over there as well and buy some raw stuff compared to Dallas, where mostly everything is slabbed up. So you have to know each show has their own specific category. If you're going just straight for vintage cards, Wisdell's your show. If you're going to try to get more hypey stuff or brand new cards, Wisdell isn't going to be the show for you. Uh, Sasha T and also a few of my other friends that sell like really, really high end modern stuff didn't do well at the show because those people aren't there. They aren't going to go out there and spend $40,000 on some Kobe autograph. They're there to buy more vintage cards and that's the market in Wisconsin. However, in Dallas, these type of deals go down. This is the type of stuff that you see on Instagram and everything like that. There's less of a vintage presence, but you can still work in trades. You can still go after modern stuff. And that's where it really comes in having a big PC and not focusing on just one thing. You go into a show and only focus on one specific sport or one specific type of card, you're not gonna find stuff. But if you broaden your PC and say, hey, Look, I collect stuff vintage. I collect cricket cards or basketball cards or football cards along with new modern stuff. You're always going to find things at the shows. And the dealers really make the shows. And both shows had a ton of dealers, a lot of stuff there, and a lot of fun with that. So you you, you kind of glossed over what is the most important thing about the Wisdell <laughs> shows. And I wasn't there, and I didn't know about this, but the fact that there's carpet on the floor, that will save huge. you at a card show. Is that not a huge a huge differentiator it is. It, it is because like i have i have a really heavy backpack i filled up with slabs i don't have those walking slab cases yet and over time especially walking on the concrete my legs and feet get really sore because 
I just keep walking laps and I'm sure if I loaded up my GPS watch, like I, I probably walked a few miles at least around that, but the carpet dampens your step and it's, you feel so much better at the end of the day. I know it's yeah. such a minor detail, but having a carpet at a show really makes a big difference, especially as you stand all day long. I mean, most people, when you're trying to buy, you aren't sitting down. Dealers can sit down, but as a buyer, if you just keep walking laps, uh, you get tired after a while. Yeah, guy, he, he's right. One of the one of the biggest pieces of advice when you go to a card show is wear good shoes, the best shoes you can, whether it's the National, the the Expo, or, or, or the Dallas show. You need good shoes because you're doing a lot of walking and you're walking on concrete. They're always in rooms with hard, hard floors. And even after that first day, you you can your knees your knees and your feet will ache so when you said carpet at the wisconsin dells show that was nice that's a huge that's that's a huge perk for a card show to have definitely i still i will say also i didn't get a chance to see it but wisdell's show also has like a small like themed adventure park there and a water park so if you're looking for other activities or if you want to bring your family and still go to the card show which i know a lot of dealers have family members that sometimes travel with them or not uh, Wisdell's that type of show because you can hang out at the water park after the show or on another free day and there's things to do around there uh, there's so many different resorts around in the area for sure collection sml says the toronto expo needs carpets that would be a huge <laughs> upgrade it would certainly be a huge upgrade but you wouldn't believe how expensive it is to put carpet in there because you can't just bring your own right you have to it has to be done through the through the facilities company and they charge an arm and a leg for, for the for carpet in there you can pay to have I think you can pay to have carpet at your booth for the weekend but it's not like ten dollars and you're not even owning it it's it's like it's like a hundred dollars or something something crazy like that so imagine trying to carpet the whole place but I agree it that it would it would help a lot Colin Murray who's a Toronto Expo regular says after the expo in Toronto I can't walk for days Steve we need carpet <laughs> he, yeah he brings his own if you live there if you live there maybe you can bring I guess you can bring your own to your booth but it's not like you can it's not like Steve could just go to uh I don't know, go to go to uh IKEA buy carpet <laughs> and, and put it down the aisles maybe he could I'm yeah, not sure but, but yeah that's an upgrade right there I know the my buddy mission. Amit who's who I set up next to at the expo he brings like those foam foam floors that you'll see in like kids playroom sort of thing oh that's and so good me a couple for my booth because i'm not going to fly with them and uh, they're very helpful for sure and oh there hold on not okay there we go facebook user but uh, i want to click this one andy max's hockey cards are the best kept secret i'm in the states and i'm buying them up that's awesome or that. gretzky how lemieux maurice richard Here's another question for you, Ryan, from MMA Rookie Cards. Sure. Did you did you notice any UFC MMA cards at Dallas or in Wisconsin? Yes. So I noticed a ton of the brand new UFC Prism. I didn't see much of the 2011, 2012, like those first years of tops, which makes me realize the pop reports on these first UFC sets are going to be really low. I think Panini printed a ton of the UFC Prism, and I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, it's a first-year Prism to go after that. Um, but if you're going after these UFC and MMA cards, Go after those early tops ones if you're going after the modern guys. If not, go out with other stuff like that in the past. Joe Perot, who was who or what was hot in Dallas? So what's yeah? This is a great question because what was the you know I, we've it, the word is already out there that nobody was that there was very little big money being spent. Everybody wanted to trade. That's the that's the word I'm yeah. hearing from all the content that I've been consuming over these last couple of days from Dallas because I've I've got. Dallas card show FOMO. And so I've been trying to live through, every, you know, live through everybody else. 
But what was hot there? Number one hot card right now was Wander Franco. So the Rays just traded their shortstop. I think it was the Milwaukee. And there's an opening now in infield. Now the Rays ended up calling up another minor leaguer. I don't remember his name on top of my head, which is sad because I'm a Tampa Bay Rays fan. Um, but they ended up calling up someone else. But now that means Wander Franco is on the radar. He's really, really close to be called up. So there's people out there buying as many Wander Franco cards as possible. Because if you go back and see what happened with Jared Kelenic, his cards went up 50% overnight as soon as he got called up, which is insane to think about how much hype there is. I mean, it's like the documentaries or someone go inducting to the Hall of Fame. Now in baseball card market, which makes no sense, by the way, I don't endorse this. The cards of a first Bowman go up 50% overnight just because someone goes and, and starts playing in the major leagues instead of the minor leagues. Now on the basketball side of thing, I heard a lot of people are buying John Morant. I'm not a basketball expert by any means. I don't really follow the market, but I heard John Morant mentioned a lot of times. I think they won in the playoffs or something like that. But for the baseball side, everyone was buying Wander Franco. What about from a vintage perspective? Not vintage as much as just retired players. Were, was was Michael Jordan hot? Was Kobe Bryant hot? Um, any any retired football players? Any who Who was the hot non-active player at the show? I'd probably still say Kobe. Um, in fact, there's dealers that ended up buying fake Kobe autos and had a whole dispute over that, which is kind of interesting because I was at their table and that ended up happening. Um, but people were always trying to trade their different Kobe autos for different ones like that. And there's money flowing around with that. Right on. Uh, Peep says tape carpet to your shoes. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to, I mean, at that point, just go buy like, uh, I don't know, some, there's got to be a pair of sneakers out there that are like, that have like this thick like four inch cushion under them or something yeah, i was gonna say you can buy cushion inserts for your shoes and then yeah, like the, do that was it dr show or something like that i like this andy mac bring your own carpet <laughs> yeah <for sure. laughs> here's a question psa slab guy how much of a police presence was there at the dallas show yeah so there's like three or four police officers at the front and some of them started ended up walking across the floor the same thing was that with the wisconsin show wisconsin had security and police officers running around and also the Miami show did as well. I really like that. I know in the past, a lot of shows didn't have police. And I always question that because these guys are bringing in millions of dollars worth of cards and there's no security, there's no police officers. So it makes me wonder like whatever happens at a show, like if there's a robbery or anything like that, or people trying to sell really, really bad counterfeit cards, what's the police going to do? But I can say that there's police officers there. Maybe there should be a little bit more police officers than three or four, um, but there was police there. Yeah, good to hear. Daniel Busby says, was there a lot of Tom Brady stuff? I think there was a lot of Tom Brady stuff. And there, I mean, I'm not the biggest Tom Brady fan when I collect. So when I go through the collections, I'm not looking for a Tom Brady card right away. But I did notice a lot of them in showcases. Cool, cool. All right. Tyler uh, joins for the, I think for the first time, Tyler. So I always watch this show on Restream. Thank you very much. Appreciate appreciate you watching whenever you do, Tyler. Had to tune in live for my first time when I saw Ryan from Breakout Cards is going to be on. Love their channel and the things they are doing in the hobby. Ryan, man. Thank you, you Tyler. You got some I know. Buddy? It seems like there's a lot. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks, Tyler. Fire Sports Cards. How you doing? Good. Thank you. How are you? Says hello to Ryan. Also, I appreciate his passion for vintage cards and his knowledge in the hobby. You know, like, you, how old are you, Ryan? I, I turned 23 this year. So you're, so. yeah, so you're a young guy and you... You, I mean, I, I, again, I've watched your videos ever, ever since we had our first meeting, I've watched your videos and I know that you really, you, you appreciate it, not just for the collectible, but for what it represents in history and the players as well. Like 
it's really cool. This, and you're going to show us some of your pickups. So uh, why don't we do that now? Why don't you show us some of the pickups you, uh, you've made over, uh, over in Dallas? Oh, absolutely. So I'm going to go over the stories of these as well. Um, let me actually grab a few other cards before I go. And I'm going to show you some of the cards I traded for because we're talking about trading. And if you guys are new to card shows, take advantage of trading. You can use cards that you have for leverage and then you don't have to use as much cash. And it's a good way instead of selling a card and then having FOMO like, oh man, I sold my card. It went up and you trade for another card. And if that card goes up as well, you're like, awesome. I just traded an exchange. So let me grab a few cards real quick and then I'll do that. I have them in under here, under this box. Hold on a second. It's funny how, you know, go ahead, Ryan. It's funny how kind of obvious that is what he just said, but but how necessary it is to say it again, you know? I think I think that's uh, that's great advice. Big unit reminds everybody, hit the like button. I appreciate that. I appreciate the first part of that sentence, big unit. Support the content. That's really nice, man. Thank you so much. Agree with that. Yeah, go ahead, pull out pull out a few cards. Let's see what you got what you've got to share. Absolutely. Let's start with what you got there. Yeah, I'm just going to put the box over here so the camera is back at a good angle. All right. So I'll go off first with a modern card. So a lot of people avoid boxes and just go showcase shopping. And if you're pressed for time, I agree with that decision. But if you have extra time at the show and you're not doing anything, please go through your boxes because you never know the stuff you find. So this right here is a Max Scherzer from 2008 Stadium Club. I don't know how well it's going to show up on the camera over here. Higher just for my benefit because I can't. Yeah, thank you. Is that better there? Yeah, I mean, it, it's small, but it's okay. You don't, you don't have to. Hold on. There we go. Yeah, that's cool. Sorry. Now, this is the unnumbered parallel as a PSA 9. There's a pop, I think, of 15 or 20 of these. So it's a very, very rare card. It was in a $15 box. Sure, there's going to hit 3,000 strikeouts this year. The card price is going to continue to rise. He's a lock in the Hall of Fame. And it costs $25 a slab. So you're talking about a low pop Scherzer rookie under the price of even grading a card. Go through these bo bargain boxes because you can find things like this. Yeah. And that's not just the slab bargain boxes. Like even going through the singles bargain boxes, like you can find $20 cards in a dollar box. And what I do is I leverage these $20 cards to trade into bigger items. And I'm going to show you guys some of that stuff at the very end. Another card I picked up right here. So this is my first George Sisler. This is from 1928. I want to show this because it's a dirty slab. You can see this right here. But I got a really good deal on it. Another very, very low pop. I think this is from you Ice hold it higher. Like there you go. Thank you. That's nice. It's a That's Harrington's. A nice yeah. So it's, again, a very low pop card. I ended up paying $100 for it. But it's my first Sisler. Sisler doesn't have any T206 cards as well as I'm aware and any Gaudis. So he's kind of those in-between years where everything's kind of low pop. So I was happy to grab my first Sisler with that. I'll show another Nolan Ryan, but I finally picked up my first 71 Ryan. This was an SGC slab. So someone was asked about SGC. It looks like I already picked up two right here. So they're prevalent with that. So 71 Ryan, you can't go wrong when you find those. Next. So I collect more than just baseball cards. I've been getting a lot into boxing and I couldn't pass these up when I saw them, especially at the grades. So these are 1936 and 837, which are some of the first years of Joe Lewis, one of the best boxers of all time. Just take a look at how beautiful these cards are. Yeah, tilt the top towards the camera a bit. Is that better it there? It. it helps a bit, yeah. We get the idea. That's a nice card. So absolutely beautiful. And then another one right here. I have that, that. card. 
it's really cool. I love the picture on it and everything like that. So there's those. Now I always add to my Gaudi PC. So I picked up the Mel Ott, which was a huge one for me because I picked up the Jimmy Fox and I needed the Mel Ott as well. They're both rookies in that set. Really nice, sharp looking three. And I just love the image of it. The early 500 home run guy, one of the best power hitters of all time. Super underappreciated if you think about it because people chase players with over 100 war, players with 500 home runs, really great statistics. And Mel Ott was one of those. Somehow didn't win an MVP award, I believe. But if you look at all his stats, he really should have in some of those years. And then my other cards right here before the trades, a Jim Catfish Hunter as an eight. A lot of people are not going to buy this card just because there's a BVG label. They'll say, oh, it's not PSA. I'm going to pass on this card. This card has four sharp corners. It's a little off-centered, but it's a 65 presents as an eight. You're going to tell me you're not going to buy a card just because it's in a BVG case. I don't understand that point of collecting. You're buying the card. You're not buying the grade. And as long as it's a reputable company, you know the card inside is most likely real. Still double check, of course, but... Most likely. <laughs> yeah. Most likely. Yeah. So those are those, some of the singles right there, some of the highlights. Now, I wanted to go over some of the trades that I made. And we talked about trading is a great way to get cards. So the first trade I ended up doing, I have my notes right here, is I picked up a Nolan Ryan BVG6 rookie card. And I ended up upgrading my BVG4. So let me go over all the details with it and the two cards that I picked up. So right here is the card itself. You can see it is nicely centered on that one right here. Back's a little off-centered, but... A little off-center yeah. left to right, but Yeah, whatever. it still presents really well. It's a 68. So beautiful card. And then in this deal also, I got a CJ Abrams button autograph from Leaf. And I'm high on C.J. Abrams, looking at all his advanced stats, looking at his scouting reports. I think he definitely is a top five prospect. And he's going through a good system with the Padres. They've done extremely well. So if you pick up a modern card, oh, my, I flipped them for a second. Modern yeah. card right here and a vintage card in the deal. So here's what I ended up trading. So I got the Nolan Ryan 6. I ended up giving up my Nolan Ryan BVG4, a Jimmy Fox PSA2 that had a mark on it, the MK qualifier, and $275 cash. I was able to upgrade for that. The Fox and I had. Upgraded, and you had upgraded your Jimmy Fox at Wizdell's, so that yep. card became dispensable to you. Exactly. And I originally had $450 into the Jimmy Fox. I had $550 into it. So I had $1,250 into this deal. And you get a Nolan Ryan 6, and you also get a CJ Abrams button, button autograph. How can you pass that up? Yeah. No, nice, nice trade. Nice trade. Show us one more trade for now, and then I want to talk more about the show. Yeah, so here is the other trade right here. So, Oof. Walter Johnson. So, absolutely beautiful card. You guys can see it right here. Huge PC item. Now I just need to get the Cy Young, and I have Christy Mathewson, Walter Johnson, and Cy Young, the big three pitchers over there. So the, I noticed that had the MK qualifier on it. What What is the uh, mark that's on that card? So, it actually is a stamp on the back. You can see it oh. right over here. And... If, what happens with a lot of these early tobacco cards and Gaudi cards. So dealers in the seventies and a little bit earlier used to stamp their cards before there was cases for them. So like your penny slaves and your plastics, those didn't exist back then. So dealers, what they do is you take a stamp and stamp these cards and have their names on them or anything like this. So this one right here says Clemens. So obviously some Clemens dealer way back in the 70 had a stamp on that card and that's the best way to identify it back then. So Personally, for me, it doesn't take away from the grade. I know some people are going to say, oh, it has a qualifier on it. I'm not going to pay as much. But it's a part of history if you look at the card collection 
side of things. So I agree, man. I agree. Feels so cool. for so for this Walter Johnson, I actually traded cards that I picked up the last two days and ended up flipping for it. I think I had about seven hundred dollars in total um, between actually yeah seven hundred dollars total between the cash I paid and the cards listed down below. And again, going through bargain boxes, looking at showcases, and making trades to work my way up to this card. I just didn't go up here and pay for it right away. So I ended up giving $400 cash. I had a 67 Rose, which is a PSA 6. I had a second year Acuna Purple Refractor. I had a Acuna Chrome Update PSA 10. I had a 64 Unitas PSA 8. And then a 58 Peewee Reese PSA 8. So I used those cards right there and then the $400 cash and I was able to get a Walter Johnson. Sounds like you accomplished uh, your, your goals. I did. Now the only one I need to still get is a Cy Young, but my bank account does not want to do that right now. So... I'm gonna make that a goal for another video. So you mentioned that you do a card show every weekend. So, I mean, obviously traveling isn't isn't cheap. Traveling costs money. You need to be able to get away. What are you, are you a student? Are you, have you started a career? Where are you at in your life? Yeah, so I just graduated from UCF last year. And right now I'm looking at different jobs in engineering for electrical engineering and data analysts. I tried doing a marketing startup last year and it just didn't work out. Um, between the cash flow and then how much time I was putting into it. So I ended up deciding to quit that and go with an actual job on that side of things. Um, but the main thing is I do have YouTube ad revenue and I also have some affiliate sales as well uh, from using market movers and promoting that. And every single dollar that I make from that type of stuff and flips goes straight back into the channel and producing content. So I don't take anything for my own personal gain. It just goes straight back into airfare, or any hotels or anything like that. So that way, I can continue to go to these shows. I can go out there and meet new people and have some fun with it. How much, how much of these, this traveling to shows, would you say if you had to take, uh, you know, a hundred percent and divide it between the cards and the community, where do you, what, what do you, how would you, how would you divide up your enjoyment in the hobby? What percentage is cards? What percentage is community for you? Honestly, for me, it's probably about 50-50 because the connections that you make are really awesome. You meet people from all different walks of life, all types of different collectors. And at the same time, we're there to buy cards and make trades and everything like that. Without the cards, we'd never meet the people. And you have to have both of them there at the same time to make a successful card show and networking event. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I was kind of thinking, as I asked the question, I was kind of thinking to myself, where, 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 where am I at that? And but the way you put it, you know, without the cards, you wouldn't meet the people. We're all like-minded, right? We all have this thing for cardboard, whatever, regardless of what we collect, what what era, what sport, what player, what team, we're all like-minded in that we collect something and that it's, you know, cardboard related. So pretty cool, pretty cool. MMA says, uh, Joe Lewis, holy crap, great pickup, vintage boxing champions, way undervalued. Tyler's absolutely. It's just refreshing to see someone under 30 not buying only modern basketball. Yeah, that's, I agree. MMA says, nice Walter Johnson trade hustle. Great job, for sure. Thank for you. Sure. So anything else, before we get into why you stayed the extra night, anything else you can tell us about the show, the floor? Again, I'm really not being there. I'm most, I want to. You know, you you filled us in in terms of what was hot, what players were hot, but what again the vibe, the energy. What are where are people at? Like a lot of there's all this talk about the dip. We're in a dip. We're in a dip. Buy the dip. Don't buy the dip. 
what was the vibe like? What was the energy? How are people feeling about the hobby in terms of your perspective in Dallas this weekend? Yeah, so the biggest concern I heard from a lot of people is the PSA backlog once that gets cleared. They're wondering what's going to happen to the modern slabs since already they're dipping. And now you're talking about more slabs hitting the market. People are going to want to liquidate cards, especially if they have any losses. So you're talking about an absolute flood of the market when PSA starts releasing these cards because they have what, five to 10 million cards in the backlog. Obviously not all are modern, but at the same time, I, if I would guess, I'd probably at least say 60, 70% are people that just pull a card from a pack and send it straight to PSA. So there's a lot of people wondering with that, trying to liquidate base cards and go after things that are very, very low pop because the low pop stuff is rare in that sense that of something, there's only 50 of these or only 100 of these, there's gonna be someone out there that would rather prefer that over a base. So that's the biggest concern I've heard across the floor. Um, another thing which was kind of cool at Dallas, which I did bring up is there's a few live podcasts there as well. So they had 137, I think the company name is, and then there was another podcast that you're on every once in a while, um, Rich Klein's podcast, um, hobby hotline. Like, hobby hotline. So there was like eight people for hobby hotline today. They also had Kyle, the guy who runs the show on there as well to celebrate his birthday. And it was really cool having everyone there seeing it live with that. Um, so you had that on the floor. Well, let me ask you, was there like, because I watched that. I watched Hobby Hotline this morning, but I couldn't see the other side of the camera. Were there people watching them broadcast the show? Was there any sort of audience or was it just people would walk by and they'd be doing it? Just walk by and they'd be doing it. Yeah. The, yeah. the other thing which I found really interesting in the show as well, the thing I didn't bring up is now there's a lot more pre-grading companies and then like post-grading companies. So there's like four or five tables now that will quote unquote, pre-grade your cards, um, don't know their grading experience or anything like that. And then there's companies now that will grade a PSA slab or a Beckett slab. So not only you're paying for a PSA or Beckett to grade your slab, now someone's paying $50 to $100 for a sticker on top of your slab. So there's now double grading or triple grading, I should say. You're pre-grading, you're normal grading, and now you're post-grading. So kind of interesting on that perspective. And there's still a lot of people that say, oh, don't get it encased in that plastic cardboard it's our plastic coffin it's horrible yet there's people that are now triple grading their cards which is kind of funny and so what can you tell us about the hob you know the dallas show the hobby sort of sentiment on all the new up and coming grading companies obviously we've got psa beckett sgc what did you hear any talk or are people favorable towards hga csg um there's so, there's a grading company with the x in the name now there's a few other pure graded x i think it's called some others what 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 was the what was the vibe like with respect to these these um up and coming grading companies so yeah i actually didn't really see many slabs of the up and coming companies and it really depends on the demographic so a lot of the younger people are going to be like oh you know these companies are so cool because they have colors all over the slabs let me get an hga slab i trust them and don't even look into any of the details like who runs the company? Do they have any grading experience? Um, does the AI actually exist? And everything like that. But then there's older people that collect vintage and are, have been in the hobby for a long time that go, I'm only gonna trust your standard companies, your PSA, your BGS, your SGC, and now CSG because they got the Beckett graders there. The, the two top graders from Beckett apparently moved over to CSG. So they have those credentials there. But we don't know the credentials of all these companies, all these mom and pop grading companies. I mean, you have HGA, you have, I don't know the one with like the X in the name and probably like four or five others. What grading experience do they have? Are they just slapping labels on a card saying, oh, this card looks nice. I'm going to give it a 10. 
or are they actually analyzing the card? Are they putting it through machines? Are they making sure it's not altered trimming and many other things that PSA and all these other top grading companies do. So I find it really fascinating from that perspective. I hear you, man. I've, I've, I've uttered very similar, if not the exact same words in, 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 uh, in the past and, um, eBay. So eBay recently, uh, mixed up their, their, their categories. And what I find, I don't, I think this is across the board, but I can no longer search by sport. I can only search by trading cards and then singles or that kind of thing. Was there any talk on e these changes eBay has made and that effect on the marketplace? Not really. I didn't even hear about that once during the entire weekend. And there's obviously talks about different marketplaces. I mean, they had Starstock there. Uh, this is across the street from ComC. So ComC is also in the area along with other things. But not many people were talking about eBay and how it was changing up. Okay, interesting. And what about the, uh, so on Thursday night, which was, I believe, the VIP night, the dealer's night, I did an episode covering the uh, PWCC premier auction. And um, we, you know, that went for, we did that for about three and a half hours, myself and Adam. Um, was there any talk about that and any impact that sales on at the PWCC premier auction may have had on the show for better or for worse? I didn't have any of those conversations with dealers. I know like PWCC premier auctions, some of those cards go for five figures. That is way out of my like income level to go out there and spend $10,000 or $50,000 on a card. So I don't really have those conversations. When I talk to people, I mostly talk about, you know, your $500 cards or your $1,000 cards. I, like, that's my max unless I trade up to something big. Usually I'm targeting cards under $100. Okay, fair enough. So tell us what you did tonight. Yeah, so I ended up going to a content creator's dinner hosted by the one and only Jim Beckett. I, I actually got a card to show because this is really cool. So you can see this right here. Jim Beckett personalized and signed his 2005 Tops card for everyone. And he wrote the name, everything like that. And he hosted a dinner and there's a lot of different people, podcast creators, YouTube creators, content writers that have blogs and invited about 25 different people to this party. Um, he ended up catering Chick-fil-A for everyone. And we talked three hours about different issues in the hobby, uh, different points. And then we got to know each other and it was really, really fun with that. That would have been awesome. Yes, I would have loved to have been there. Um, I was invited to it, but I, I wasn't able to, to to attend, of course. So when when you told me that you got to go, I thought that's really cool. Maybe you can share. So what sort of insights can you share with us in terms of some of those topics that came up or or are you able to? Was there any sort of. Yeah. So or, yeah, what, what are you able to share with us that actually was was talked about? Yeah. So I have notes. I wrote down all the different categories maybe we can talk about like one or two of these on the show sure. so, yeah whatever you think would be the most interesting yeah well, well let's have the live audience talk about it or like they have a vote so we talked about influencers controlling the market so if someone talks about a card what happens to that card price that one i think would be really interesting to talk about we talked about what's going on with the national which really nothing really new most people think it's going to end up happening there's issues about like creating content and consistency. So if you want to build out a YouTube channel, what are the challenges that you have to face? If you want to continue to produce content, what's the biggest challenge for you? Um, next what one. Some, so, so what were some of the responses to these questions? Yeah. So we'll just go over uh, the national. So most people think it's about like an 85 to a 90% chance that the national will go on this year. That's what Rich Klein said. A few other people were like, oh, it's 95%. They talked to people on the national staff. The only thing that would happen is if there's another COVID outbreak in Chicago, they would probably close it down. 
But since Lollapalooza is already happening, they're bringing in a ton of artists, a ton of money going in the area. So it looks like the national is to go. The one thing I wish we did talk about is if there's a limit on the capacity, the people into the national, if they're doing any limits, like you can only show up one day to the show or two days to the show, or what is going to go on with that, or like give specific hours. There's been no mention of that at all. And I know like a lot of different places, especially Chicago are very, very strict with COVID. So that's one thing. Um, creating content, a lot of people struggle with consistency or posting on many different avenues. I know I saw you had this on Facebook Live as well. So really good job repurposing content. A lot of people there were only focusing on one platform and not using their things for their advantage. Um, let, me, let me get a charger one second because my phone's at 2%. I don't want it to sure. die on here. So let Go me ahead. grab that Go real ahead. quick. Okay, take a um, second. I'm going to bring yeah. up uh, Michael Ham's comment. Why do people think grading is that difficult with all the previous graded cards available and using them as a catalyst for those cards? You mean like a, you mean like a, a, a beacon almost, a comparison sort of thing? CSG seems like they grade tough. I agree somewhat, Michael. I mean, in terms of why is grading that difficult? I think the, the thing about grading, though, is that unless you have the proper equipment, you 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 can't see the card as clearly as the grading companies can because they have certain like x-ray type equipment that allows them to see things you can't see with the naked eye and that you also can't see at 30 times magnification and that's why people often don't understand their grades regardless you know despite the fact that card that, that people are saying that psa is is grading tougher now and i'm not disputing that I, i'm neither side of that i don't, I don't really thank you that much but they see things that we can't even with a even with your standard little loop like this a third which is 30x this is a this, oh this is 40x actually you still can't see everything that uh, that they can see which all actually begs the question then why does it even matter why does it even matter if you can't see it at 40 times magnification does that really it's almost isn't that like just immaterial where it's like who cares yeah. you know it's like the, it's like the diamonds that people pay so much money for just for like a little pure of a diamond and people spend tens of thousands of dollars more it's a diamond at the end of the day yeah like it's uh, this is the first time my mind has ever gone to that extent to think to myself like so like so what if they see things that you can't see it's it's one thing to say with the human eye you can't see it so okay but it's another thing to say you can't detect this unless even with a 40x um, at 40x magnification so should so that, that begs the question then too right like if you can't see it until 40x, what type of qualifier do they have? Is it like a half point down? Is it like a quarter point? Because I'm sure every company has their own checklist. Like, okay, if this issue is here, we take off one or two points. I mean, obviously not at all public, but internally, I'm sure they have their own documents. So it's kind of interesting to see from that as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other topic to discuss, but uh, but it's, it's, it's interesting to to think now that like, does it really matter if there's something that you can't even see at 40 times magnification? So so, uh, but anyway, I think to answer uh, my answer to, to your question, Michael, it is simply that we just can't see what you can see with certain equipment. So, um, okay, you were uh, what were you, you were talking about something before you had to uh, go recharge your phone or get your charger? Yeah, so I was talking a little bit about content struggles for most creators right. and consistency with that. So we're talking about different ways with that. Um, another topic that came across was I do want to. I'll actually, I'll bring that back to the end. There's two of them I want to really talk about. Um, and the other one is models for pricing. So whether there's like specific multipliers for it or if like the market's random with that and how different people or companies come up with formulas uh, for pricing cards and then figuring out in the future, like an analyst type 
uh, data quantify or quantifying with that. So I found that kind of interesting. Uh, Beckett didn't tell their official way that they price cards. Uh, they did talk about their way in the 90s and 80s before eBay was around that they would send reps around the country and go to card shows and take all that data. And then James Beckett pretty much compiled the data since he did he had a background in stats and then figure yeah. out, okay, this is what the price on everything is. I know nowadays everyone goes by eBay comps, but Beckett says they don't use just eBay comps. They look at a few other things as well. So they wouldn't talk about their formula for comps, um, but they said it's a little bit interesting. So with that. And there, was there someone from Beckett, Beck, the current company at the show? At, at there the was. Night? There was. Was it was it was Eric Nor was it Eric Norton? I believe it was Eric. Yeah. And was there a, so you mentioned data tools a little bit. So I know that uh, the card ladder team was there and was yes. uh, and the market movers team as well. Is that correct? correct? So yeah, and funny enough they sat on opposite ends of the whole room. So the market movers sat on one side with all the YouTubers and card ladder sat on the other side with all the podcasters which I found kind of interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How, so there were only like only 25 people. Correct. Only 25 yeah. people. And what James, uh, when, what James Beckett, I think was doing was he's trying to make different podcast episodes. I think his podcast is like 15 minutes each. Yeah. So he did like one 15 minute episode of seeing who was in the room talking about, okay, what's your background? Like a 30 minute spiel of what you do and everything like that. Then there's like 15 minute question on some of these different topics over here. So if you guys want to hear those topics, I'm sure he's going to be uploading it within the next few weeks or even next few days, the full on conversations. And you can see what people were talking Good. about. But I do want to talk about a few of the other things on here a little bit more in detail. Sure. So that's over here. The one thing that I, I think we could easily have an hour conversation on, um, but is keeping people in the hobby, especially new ones that are getting in here and are getting burned because they bought at the peak or just because of following what a YouTuber says with investments. Um, which went into another thing talking about like honesty and talking about like influencers controlling the price of specific cards in the hobby. So I do want to talk about uh, the influencer controls and then keeping people in the hobby because they go kind of back and forth. Please. Yeah. So I think it starts with the influencers. So there's a ton of YouTube channels out there that'll tell you, Oh, go buy X player. And then we'll sell the player once it gets up as a pump and dump. So we talked about like what's morally there. Should you be able to sell your cards as soon as you make a video on a player? Should you be able to buy cards and everything like that? Or what's the transparency behind it? So everyone in there was saying, oh, you don't sell any cards at all that we buy or we sell it only 30 days after. I don't know if it's true or not. So that's up to them if they're being honest or not with that. Um, but there is a few other YouTubers that were mentioned by name that go out there and sell the things as soon as they talk about it. And for example, right, we look at the 1991 Jordan baseball quote unquote rookie that exploded overnight, a card that was like a $5 card in anyone's $5 box and overnight it became a $50 card raw makes no sense, but it was pumped and dumped by a bunch of different YouTubers. And then if you look at the 2001 Tiger Woods upper deck rookie card, which I got to say, thank you for the pump and dump because I traded that for a Bob Gibson rookie. Thank you, whoever pumped that up. But uh, that card literally overnight went from a dollar box card to over $100 raw. It, it makes no sense. So we're talking about that side of things and then talking about what happens to the people that spend the $100 on that Tiger Woods card and now it goes down to $20 or $30. Are they going to quit the hobby now because they lost all that money because of a pump and dump? So are the YouTubers responsible for people leaving the hobby because they're pumping up cards and then selling the cards and leaving that out or what should be the moral responsibility? And like, at least on my 
Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So is it, you're using the term YouTubers quite a bit. Is it YouTubers exclusive or is it Instagrammers as well? Twitterers? Yeah. So it's more than just YouTube. I'm just saying YouTubers because I build a lot more YouTube content, but there's YouTubers, there's podcast people, there's people that have discord groups, which will have all their members buy price, buy up cards or she'll bid expensive cards. So they go up really high and not even pay for auctions. I mean, there's Facebook groups that do the same exact thing. Uh, the biggest thing is be careful with these scams, people pumping up these card prices without doing any research into the player or their statistics. Yeah. Okay. What do you got next? Um, let me go over there. While you're Another doing that, was... sorry, well, just while you're picking your next topic, I'm just going to bring up Ryan O'Hara's comments as we're all paying, we're all crazy paying premiums for BGS 9.5s, PSA 10s, over 9s, they look nearly perfect to the naked eye. Nothing wrong with mint cards. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, okay, go ahead, please. Yeah, so another one that we ended up talking about, there's a lot of other like small minor YouTube type things and like podcast things, but it was just engaging with fans and how some channels don't even respond to comments. Like you on here, you're talking to every single person that asks the question and then you're building that community because someone asks you that question, you answered it and they're gonna have that positive experience. But there's a lot of people out there that if they get a comment, they're not going to even respond to it or like that comment. And someone just doesn't feel great about it because there's no connection between the two. So there's a few people saying, look, unless you're so, so big that you can't do it, try to respond to every single person because that's the best way to do it and build out your own community. They have the best response with that. And how I do it is it's like customer service. Like today for lunch, there was a fan that walked up to me and started talking about cricket cards because I made, I bought some cricket cards at the Wisconsin Dells show. He was talking to me about his cricket card collection. So I was like, hey, man, it's close to lunchtime. Let's grab lunch. And now he's going to remember, like, hey, I watched this YouTuber. He literally brought me to lunch, and we talked about cricket cards for an hour or so. And he has that experience. He's now going to go back and watch the vlogs. What did it take? Just I was going to go to lunch anyways. Did I want to go alone, or did I want to go with a fan of the channel? So I went out there and did that. People come up to me in the show and say, hey, I watch your channel. Like, I'll talk to them for 20 or 30 minutes and have that conversation. And try to get to know someone, find out what they collect and everything like that. Find out what they got at the show. It's about building connections. You can't brush off fans of your channel. You can't brush off people that enjoy your content. You need to go out there and try to help them out because they're going to have that positive experience. They're going to go out there and tell five friends, Hey, remember Ryan for breakout cards? I actually met him at a show. He took me to lunch. Like you need to go out there and treat your fans, right? You can't go out there and scam them with your pump and dumps. You can't go out there and just ignore them or brush them off and not respond to their comments. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you that you did that, but I think it just comes natural to you. You're just that kind of guy. But let me ask you this. Let's flip it around. All the talk about, you know, fans of, 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 of shows and YouTube channels. Was there any talk about how to handle negativity or people that uh, attack other, other uh, content creators? Yeah. So there was one and it was saying just go out there and you know respond to the hater and try to come with a compromise or anything like that. And I read a book on customer service. I think it's called Hug Your Haters. Uh, Gary Vee and a few other people, entrepreneurs, recommended that book as a good read. And it talks about from the customer service model that even your haters, if you treat them with kindness and try to see from their, their perspective why they're hating your content and you say, hey, I understand your concern. This is what happened over here. You can turn that interaction around. Sometimes the people that hate on your videos are your core fans. And if you attack them, like someone says, I don't like this video. Sorry, man, this isn't for me. And then you go, oh, I hate you. You dislike this video. I'm never going to like you again or block them from your channel. That person might've been a fan for the longest time. Now they hate you. And you're going to tell everyone, 
you you know Ryan Nolan from Breakout. I absolutely hate his content. Never never subscribe to him. Never watch his stuff. But if you go out there and say, hey, I understand your concern. What didn't you like from this content so I can improve from the future? They're going to go after it. Now, yeah. if there's someone that hates on multiple comments in a row and just obviously a troll, just block that account. You won't have to deal with them again. But if it's just one negative comment, try to come up with some type of compromise for that person because you're going to attain someone that hates your content and is someone that really likes your content and can change someone's whole mind within even like 30 seconds to maybe an hour after having that conversation. And sometimes it's not even changing them from from hating your content, it's it's it, it, it's changing them from being close and hate such a strong word, and I you know, but it's almost changing them from hating your content to liking you as the person on the other side, and that's where you know that's where you build your community and you build friendships and relationships. If you ever do uh, meet that person in person, um, you've you've earned a fan here tonight. Daniel Busby says uh, that's why. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate it. Hey, I Daniel, I really appreciate it, man. Ryan is going, Ryan. I'm going to go follow your channel after this. And of course, I'm, uh, one of my biggest fans and someone I'm <laughs> a huge fan of, Rodman Martinez, says Saturday Sports Cars Live. I'm always tuning in, Rodman. I just hey, thanks, Rodman. Makes me feel good to know you're always there, Rodman. Shout out to Rodman. All right, man. So that's cool. And what I mean, this is really interesting. And again, you know, I um i've been saying all weekend i've got this dallas card show fomo and one of the biggest reasons was because i wasn't able to attend tonight's event and i i really really would have loved to have been there because i've become friends with most of the people that are in that room probably i would i would have to think and it would have been yeah great. they brought up your name like once or oh, really? twice as well they're like they're like jeremy from sports card live and they talked about you for a second so well that's that wow that's what what an honor that's really that's really nice i'm 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 Humbled and happy and glad to hear that. Really cool. But yeah, it would have been awesome to, to be there and, and see everybody that I've met over the last year. And uh, I, that's why I'm so curious about what went on at the at this event, this dinner, because um, I would have just loved to have been there so 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 badly. But next time, next time. Um, okay, uh, let's see. I'm just checking out the comments. Nothing new. Anything else you can tell us from from the from the dinner? From the dinner, I mean, those are the main points with the dinner itself. One of the other things that was pretty cool was everyone talking about one person that inspired them to get into the hobby or made like a positive impact on them that isn't a family member or that isn't someone that they work with on a team basis. So a lot of people were talking about uh, different LCS owners or different people in the hobby that treated them right and all that. And I can go over that as well. Uh, I'll go over one family member as well as a person that really made an impact on my collecting career, uh, just to see a little bit more like behind the scenes with that. So I'll first say my dad got me into collecting. Uh, my dad owned a LCS in the nineties and ended up shutting it down. And then once I was born, like it was probably two or three started taking me to different card shows or flea markets or things like that, because he got back into the hobby and wanted me to collect cards. He was using that as an excuse, of course, right? Oh, you know, Ryan's collecting cards. So I have to go to this card show. So the best way to Best way to sneak back into the hobby, of course. So um, that's how I got into the hobby. And I really appreciate that because I've learned quite a lot over the years from my dad from that. But the one person probably that I've gotten a ton is uh, I didn't go to an LCS as a kid. I said I went to a flea market. So you know, it's from the Tampa Bay area or Florida in general. I went to the Oldsmar flea market. Uh, I don't know exactly what's happening with Oldsmar flea market now if they, they're tearing it down or it's still around. Um, but there's a dealer there in like Mike the Greek. Don't know his last name, but that's what he always went by. And he had a bunch of boxes outside, like 10 cent cards and everything like that, quarter cards, 
And then inside he had all his like five, $10 cards, everything like that. And I remember as a kid, I would always go through the quarter boxes and try to find the numbered cards or cool, shiny cards. And you're just giving me for free. These are so like, they're so inexpensive, but at the end of the day, like that got me into the hobbies. I was used to go through these dime boxes, the quarter boxes and pull out a stack of cards like this while my dad was inside buying some vintage cards or buying some singles of the players that were hot back then. And that really got me into the hobby because I'd go there once or twice a month and always learning about the new players coming in there, learning about the different brands and learned a lot from that. So Mike was pretty much my first, not LCS, but the first like dealer I worked with for a very, very long time and made a ton of deals with that. And that's why I'm in the hobby. You know, it helps having someone like a dealer that's really good with prices and treats their customers right. Having that great customer service can help people. And look, if you're a dealer on the stream and there's a kid there, give them a deal because that kid is going to grow up and they're going to continue to buy with you for years and years. And someone in the hobby now might be in there for 20 years. If you're arguing over extra $5, what's $5 in your pocket? It's nothing. And it's the same thing, even with like people coming in that are older, do you want to lose a customer over $5 or $10 make a deal with someone? And they're going to come back to your table over and over again. Think about the long-term value of a customer rather than making a quick five or $10. Think about the long-term on that. Preach, my man, preach. You, uh, you, you're, you're, you're saying some really good stuff that, uh, that I've, I believe in, I've said it before, especially when it comes to younger people, you know, it's, it's, it's always great to, uh, leave a bit of meat on the bone for the other guy, you know, whether, whether it's uh, someone, a, a reseller or a collector, just, you know, give them, give a bit of a deal, especially if you're already profiting made on that. Money. What's that? I said, especially if you already made money. That's that what I'm point, saying. Right. Yeah. If you're already profiting, leave a little bit of meat on the bone for anybody. Give somebody a great deal because that's going to turn into an ongoing business or hobby business relationship which is very important but when it comes to the young kids i i've said it before i'll say it again i don't think i've said it for a while when i'm at a card show set up any kid that comes by my booth no matter what their cards are in if they're in an old shopping plastic shopping bag or a ratty box or a nor or, or you know more of a collector type uh, storage storage um unit i will i will always and, and they come up to your booth and they say sometimes sheepishly because they could be young they'll say are you buying or do you trade? My answer is always yes. I don't even don't e I don't even have to look at the person. I just say yes no matter what. Yes, I am. Yes, I will. Do you want to see my cards? Yes. Yes, I do. I want to see your cards. And you take time and you look at their cards. And if you don't have to be interested in anything, but you've got to give them that time and that respect and let them feel important, especially the young kids, because it can really turn it around for them, especially if they had a bad experience at a, at a booth before, which unfortunately is quite likely, you know, in just knowing going to booths myself for year, year after year, show after show, really important to treat people with respect when they come to your booth, give them the time of day, look up from your phone, say hello to everybody that comes to your booth and just big things eat. right there. Yeah. But not every, I guess not everybody has that in them. Not everybody's comfortable talking to people. Some people have anxiety, but they also collect and they want to be there. So at the same time I say all this, we have to not be too quick to judge people who don't behave this way because there could be something going on that is causing them not to be as happy-go-lucky or as friendly or as outgoing as we'd like them to be. So we, we, have, to, we have to be careful there, I think, and not, not, not judge too quickly because you just never know what somebody's going through whether it's a, a condition or 
an event in life that could really you know throw somebody off so i'll throw that out there as well but i'm glad you brought that up ryan really really good and important stuff yeah and i'll, I'll give you another example of this this is actually from the wisdells so the lady that runs the wisdells show um used to give deals to this kid i don't remember the guy's name he, he works with sasha t and a few other west coasters uh, but he's like 17 years old and just paid for a tesla with 60k in cash just from cards um, but he started off, you know, like age like 10 or 11, going to different dealers, you know, handing them some cards. Can you buy my cards? And then she made deals and gave him money and everything like that. And now age 16 or 17, he just bought a Tesla with cash. So it just shows you that if you take people right, that can make a huge impact on a person. You don't know where that person can be in another five or six years. And I remember you like, hey, you're that dealer that helped me out when I was a kid. I really appreciate your business and I'm going to continue to support you. And even if you don't see anything, right? okay, I'm still going to buy your cards for 5 or $10 just to give you a bone. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Let's go to a few comments. Uh, Bobby Burrell says, great after hours. Ryan is rocking it. Yeah, bringing some great information Thank you, Bobby. perspectives. MMA says, chat board haters, I'm tired of it. They are rude, jealous. They don't respect your sympathy. Agree. Tyler, nothing rubs me the wrong way more than grumpy dealers who don't even look up at you when inquiring about a card in their showcase. Yeah, I hear it. Yeah. I hear it. And even, even what I just said before, but... You know, I've experienced where you go to the show year after year, that same dealer, you walk by, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm looking in your showcase. I might want, I might drop four or five figures, you know, you know, and you can judge a book by its cover, right? Someone can come to your booth. Dealer will look up. Oh, this person's not dressed well. I'm not even going to look, 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 not going to look back down. The next guy comes up, he's in a suit, looks up. Oh, how can I help you? Like, you know, that guy Insane, might right? have $10 to spend when the guy just <laughs> might have 10000 to spend. Like people just, I don't know. So when you see that, that that's, that's a, that's discrimination way. Yeah. Not, not a good practice at all. Andy Max says this kid's been going to show his whole life. He's seen every angle there. Wheel and deal to Ching. Fair. MMA. I think this is what I was just talking about. There are, they are bad dress. <laughs> They're bad dressers. They look funny and smell. They're bad. There are bad drivers. Don't try to save hours of time. That's and that's an interesting comment because it's like you can turn around a hater at times who's not a hater. They just might be. Maybe they're frustrated. It's happened to me on this show a few times where somebody said something. I, I don't know, but I've turned people around before, and other people have just probably not come back. And that, that's fine. You, you're not going to win every single interaction that way, and nor do we have the time or energy to. But as a as a best practice, I'm with you still. MMA says, get, get haters out of the hobby, cultivate collectors with good attitudes. Yeah, I mean, let's have I love the ones with good attitudes and the, the you know, if, if you're a hater for the sake of being a hater, yeah, see you later. But if you're a hater because you're you just don't you you're, you don't have complete information or you had a bad day, ah, we can work with you a little bit. Angie says this is for Ryan. This is for Ryan. Is collecting hockey cards popular in the states? And quick question for you, Jeremy: Do you PC anything in hockey? So for you, uh, what what can, how can and I mean you're you're in Florida. You you so well you know you're gonna kind of answer this from a Florida type perspective. But what do you see for hockey cards in uh, in Florida? There's only usually like one dealer at a show with hockey in Florida, um, maybe two, if that, and max. Most dealers don't even look at your hockey cards. They're like, oh, hockey, whatever. Personally, I like hockey cards. I'm not going to ignore hockey as a sport. A huge following in Canada. Obviously, there's diehard hockey collectors in the United States itself, so I don't ignore it. I like hockey as a sport itself. I mean, probably one of my top three favorite sports overall. So, 
and from Tampa Bay, I'm a Lightning fan, and we just won the Stanley Cup, so I got to support Lightning with that. Um, but yeah, it's not really popular. It should be, and there's great steals with that. I mean, you look at some of the legends, other prices are still cheap, especially on the vintage side of things. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because in Florida, there's there's two hockey teams there, and yet you say it's tough to find uh, hockey dealers there. Okay, let's keep on going. Uh, MMA says that I just become a chapter. I don't think you did MMA. <laughs> no, you're uh, good. Steve Jennings says, what's the craziest thing you've seen at the Dallas show so far? Throw that one back at us. Ooh, I saw a few crazy things already. So I'll, I'll go over a few different ones. So the craziest um, card I saw there was a tobacco card of Ty, Go Ty Cobb. That was a PSA 9. Ooh, I think I saw no. that on Instagram. Yeah, just... Thinking about that's probably the one of the only card out there. It's such such great shape. You just don't see it. Was Absolutely it amazing. I, I can't remember. I have a picture on my phone of it somewhere. The guy had like four or five Ty Cobbs, all like five sixes, and then the one nine. So they're all kind of blurred in my head. But that was definitely like probably the highest end card there. That probably is a seven figure card. Also, really really cool. One unique item was a Ben Franklin letter signed to his lover. So. It was a full-on letter, and he signed it, and then it has the emboss and everything like that. Really, really cool. Authenticated as well. Um, saw a bunch of Mantle rookies, one even a PSA 7. So your Mantles were at that show. If you are not Mantle, you're 52 Mantle, not your rookie. I'm sorry. Um, but there's a lot of 52 Mantles throughout that show. You can't pass those up. And then I, I think the guy's name is Bronco. Um, it's the 1935 football card, one of the most expensive cards out there. Very, very low pop. Don't remember how to pronounce his last name. It's Bronco. So. It's Bronco Nagurski. But before you go on, I want to ask you about the Ty Cobb. Do you remember? Was it a the red back, the red background, or the green background? Does that? Can you pull that out of your brain? I'd have to look at my camera footage. Okay. I saw. I've seen so many cards the last forty eight hours. Sure. It's kind of like it's all in my head and everything like that. So I just know Ty Cobb nine. It, it'll be my video. I we'll just, see it on your it, show. We'll yeah, see it on your show. It's it's okay, absolutely insane. I want to go to this comment here. Colin Murray says, great job, Ryan. Know that there are quite a few industry vets watching tonight and you have our attention. We all learn from someone like yourself, regardless of age, keep doing what you're doing. That's a really Thank nice you, comment. Colin. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, that's very nice. Very nice. He goes on to say vintage rules. And oh, uh, yeah. oh, right here, sports card investor. That must be Yo, Jeff Wilson Jeff. giving you a shout that's out good, right there. Man. Right there, Ryan. Yo, thanks He's again for that dinner invitation. In Dallas hotel room. No, so I'm staying at my friend's James' place. Remember James from dinner? <laughs> they let me crash in his place. I couldn't get a hotel room tonight. So I literally looked at hotels around in the area, literally texted him today, and he let me stay here. So I really appreciate it, James. And uh, Jeff goes on to say, missing you here in Dallas, Jeremy. Thank you, Jeff. I am, uh, I've been suffering from Dallas Card Show FOMO all weekend you know fomo is real not only when it comes to cards but now when it comes to card shows i really wanted to be there tonight and i really wanted to be uh at the at tonight's event that i i just couldn't cross the border i did have my first vaccine shot today i'm actually feeling a little weird right now from it i think um just a little a little off i'm not 100 i'm a little bit off from the shot and I'm, I'm hoping to get my second shot in time so that I can get to the national. Um, and I don't think that'll be a problem. So hoping for that for sure. But uh, good evening, Jeff. Hope you had a great show. I did watch your videos, really enjoyed them. And thanks for tuning in. Charlie Bucket says, I'm sure that Ty Cobb wasn't trimmed. I'm sure it wasn't either. 
Uh, Mickey says, hi, sports card investor. Can't wait to meet you. Are you coming to Toronto? Uh, and, and to Jeff, I think uh, Mickey's talking about the November in-person Toronto Expo. Well, I don't know the exact days, but it is on their website. It's going to be a four-day show. Um, I'll be Ooh. there, Mickey. I'll be there for sure. And uh, yeah, it'd be great if uh, everybody in the room can come. For sure. November. I'm going to have to put that on my calendar. It's November in Toronto, just outside Toronto. It's actually right at the airport. It's a very convenient location. Yeah, definitely can't wait. Cannot wait for that. Uh, Jeff says, awesome that Ryan is so into older cards. He flashed a great Walter, Walter Johnson. Yeah, he showed it to us here tonight as well. Facebook user, I'll have to see who this is, says, Ryan, I'm inspired by a collecting expert who has the humility to state I typically trade and buy cards below $100. Yeah, that's just, hey, but you know what? No need to no need to flex when you can't lift the weight, right? Like, or or you're just not lifting the weight type of thing. So nice modesty from you, uh, Ryan. Thank you. Jeff says, that's awesome. Be great to meet up at the National. For sure, Jeff, for sure. And now Tyler, Philly show in June. Very excited since the Atlantic City National got canceled last year, no doubt. And Mickey says, bringing you to Zets, Jeremy, at airport. Mickey, <laughs> I, I eat at Zets every year. I uh, I go to Zets every show on the Sunday, right before uh, Sunday or Monday, right before the airport. Ben Carlos in the house. Jeremy, we need to get all the American one beaver tails when they get here. Fair, fair. All right, what's, what, what's beaver tails? Go it's, over that a little bit. It's like a cinnamon-covered... Uh, uh, dessert type of thing really oh man i gotta try that i'm surprised they don't have that at the epcot pavilion over here they usually have like a lot of out of you could probably find one there somewhere i'm sure i would have to think who knows steve jennings says will there ever be a day when tops has an nba license again that's that's a whole other that's topic. a whole <laughs> that's what i thought that oh go ahead no, no, you go. I'll save my thought. I was going to say that was one of the questions that was brought up tonight, but we never talked about it. So there's a bunch of questions that we could bring up and vote on. And unfortunately, that didn't get enough votes because that would have been a really interesting conversation. So let me let me give, share my take on that. So the, the big thing, the biggest reason why all the uh, people who are in the know say why the single license era is going to continue to be the single license era is because the licensors the nhlpa the nhl the and the, the leagues let's say all all the big leagues they don't want to have to deal with more than one uh licensee it's just too much sort of work sort type of thing and it's just easier so that's that's the that's the reason that we hear my thought and i could be way off total speculation i do not know i don't talk to these people at all but my thought is that Everybody knows what's going on in the hobby right now. If you're involved in sports from a business perspective, you see what's going on. So if there was ever a time for there to be more licensees coming in to any sport, wouldn't now be the time where the leagues might say, hey, you know, maybe we should just hire somebody to run this department instead of just putting our legal team on it or whatever, hire someone to do it and let them manage more than one license. It, the money they could get from it would probably be enough to pay somebody and then some because it's now worth more. So that those are my thoughts. But the the counterpoint to that is these things have terms and the term might not be over in 2021 or 2020, 2021. So, you know, the Panini basketball license, I don't know what it end, when it ends, but it might not end until 2025. So it's a moot point until 2025. We'll see where the hobby's at then. So there's a few things going on there, but I think if there's ever been a time for it to happen, now or very soon would be the time. My thoughts. 
Going to go to a few more comments here, Ryan. Sounds good. Um, Bobby Burrell says, keep it quiet on Zets. The lineups are getting longer every show. But those <laughs> talk about an assembly line that moves people through and the food is good. <laughs> and here, so um, J the real Jeff Wilson, here's the pretend Jeff Wilson I was telling you about. That's them. Now you see who's who's imitating you. Uh, yeah, I know. That's why I <laughs> that time, Jeff, to make sure. Yeah, that is not the real Jeff Wilson. So to the pretend Jeff Wilson, um, I'm going to block you now. I'm going to block you from the channel because I just don't think it's cool that you're impersonating. Yeah, funny. Okay. So, I mean, listen, I'm good to wrap this up pretty soon, Ryan. Anything else you want to talk about to the chat? Any other comments, questions from you for Ryan, for myself? And remember, Ryan was at the Dallas show this weekend, had some really cool experiences. So let's take a few more minutes. We'll do about 10 more minutes. Just throw any comments out there. Ryan, let's go to you, though. Anything else you want to talk about? I mean, guys, shoot me some questions. Like, it can be about anything. I'm free to talk about it. Um, the other thing was the licensing between uh, like tops and then a panini for baseball and basketball. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit uh, while there's some more questions. And so what I find really interesting is panini's making the unlicensed baseball cards and a lot of people completely ignore them. But then you look at cards like, or players like Juan Soto and their national treasures, RPA, or even like their optic silvers or prism silvers are still going for a ton of money. Yet any other player below them, like a Soto level or a Cunha, they go for a dollar. So I think people at the very high end of investment are ignoring the no light, no logo license and still buying those cards, but are ignoring all those middle tier and lower tier players for some reason. And it's kind of interesting from that perspective. I think Penny's still getting down that edge compared to tops. Now, the one thing I don't know, I don't know the whole legal agreements. I haven't read them over is why isn't tops trying to go after the NBA stuff with unlicensed and compete with Panini? Does Panini have like the full on exclusive license where they can't even put the players' names on? Why didn't Tops get that originally and block Panini? So those are kind of my, my takes on that. I don't see the baseball one changing for a long time just because of Tops. I mean, they've been producing the cards since 1951. I mean, we're talking about that big of a history. And I mean, people don't realize this, but they fought Bowman in the 50s and Bowman was the bigger company and Tops ended up buying out Bowman. So there's a lot of history with Tops in producing cards. Uh, 70 plus years now yeah yeah okay and um so i'm good with that topic anything else or i mean because that makes sense to me what you said and uh i don't i don't want to see tops stop making baseball cards but i'd love to see them start making some hockey cards i'd love to see them make some ba uh some basketball cards again I'd I, it's and fun it's not, it's, and it's not because I don't like the current licensees. I love what Upper Deck does with hockey cards. I think, up, to me, Upper Deck uh, makes the, from, from a look and feel perspective, my favorite cards on a consistent basis across all brands they release. I love a lot of what Topps does. I love a lot of what Panini does. I love a lot of what Leaf does. But I don't love everything those companies does. If I but I love most of what Upper Deck does in terms of look yeah. and feel. I just think I love the Young Guns, how they make it a short print for the rookie card. I absolutely yeah. love that because then it makes it more valuable, especially when the print runs are higher. You look at like the McDavid pop report and then compare it to any other modern sport from the same exact era. And it's so much lower yeah. and it's, it's a challenge because you don't get it in every single pack. Okay. Bobby Burrell says, Ryan, what did you almost buy at the show, but didn't pull the trigger on, but might be rethinking now. Ooh. I mean, there's a few different things that I wanted to trade for, but I just didn't have the capital for, I mean, I'm going after T206 cards and, 
some Gaudis as well. Uh, there was a Hank Greenberg there that I wanted from 34, but it was $500 over comps. And I'm, I know it's a rare card, but I'm not going to pay another additional 50% over a thousand dollar card. There's also a, a Bob Feller rookie card from 38, which I've been chasing, but that was $300 over the last comp. It was only like a $400 card and they're selling for like 700 plus and it's a one. So it's not like it's a three or four or something that's not going to come up again. So there's some really cool cards there that you aren't going to see at every card show. And um, just the thing about it is you have to be careful when buying cards. You can't go way over. Sure, some cards, if they don't come up on eBay every once in a while, you can pay maybe a little bit of a premium, especially if they have really good eye appeal. But a 50% premium on a card, I'm not going to do that. Okay, good. We're going to run through these final questions, comments that are coming in. There's a few of them. And then we're going to we're gonna uh, end, the, end the show. This has been awesome. Steve Jennings says, Ryan, was there one YouTube or social media personality involved in the hobby that you felt got the most attention? Or is that not something that's visibly seen at a show? Yeah, so Sports Card Investors, Jeff's in here, and also Sasha T. I mean, that's what everyone talks about the show. Everyone tries to take pictures with both of them and always up there talking about them everywhere. Like, oh, did you see Sports Card Investors at the show? Oh, did you see Sasha T? So those are the juggernauts right now at the Dallas Card Show. Cool. Thank you for that. Kyle Brown says, Ryan, do you ever sit and sell at, a, at card shows as a dealer? I have not, and I honestly have no plans to do that. I like going around and talking to people. I like filming and doing a vlog style and making deals. I mean, yeah, people can bring you really awesome cards to your table and you can do extremely well buying collections and everything like that, but that doesn't interest me. I don't want to sit around. I want to have it be there in the action with the other collectors that are trying to buy off the dealers and see from that perspective. And I think the audience enjoys that also because I try to do the vlog style. I mean, everything from traveling to the show, getting ready for that, try to show that in the videos. And it's a completely different perspective if you're a dealer. I mean, you sit at a table, people come over there and talk to you. You can charge whatever you want, but you're selling your cards versus buying cards for that you want in your PC. And there's so many more cards that I want to chase after. I mean, pre-war cards are limitless. And then you're talking about other sports that I collect now that I've been going after like cricket. And now I'm starting to learn a little bit about vintage soccer. I collect boxing cards as well. So, I mean, just finding this stuff is rare and it takes a lot of time. Ben Carlo says, Ryan, did you join the Tampa Bay Raptors bandwagon this season? If so, I'm sorry. No, so I'm not a, I'm not a basketball fan. I don't really watch basketball at all. And I'm from Orlando. So my team over there is the Magic. I still haven't been to one Magic game, and I've lived in Orlando for five years now. Which I guess it's kind of sad, but it's okay, man. It's all good. MMA, uh, thank you. Fun shows. Good night. Good night, MMA. If you're hey, still thanks, here, thanks, MMA. Right? Appreciate Next it. Time, Steve Jennings, a follow-up question says: Also, do you feel like there is lots of tension amongst popular social accounts involved with the hobby? I find that perspective the hob that perspective of the hobby interesting. Anything like that uh, rear its head to you at the show? I mean, honestly, I don't know any tension. From my perspective, I try to be nice to everyone and not try to stir any pots. I'm out there with that. I'm sure some creators don't like each other and they avoid each other. I get it, but I just don't try to get involved with drama. I try to have a completely clean state. Awesome. Great, great approach, man. Matthew Jones. Uh, so he stayed the extra day because he was invited to the content creator dinner tonight that uh, Dr. James Beckett hosted. Tyler says, so happy I finally tuned in for the live experience. The show is almost as good as Jeremy's shirt. Steve Miller band, I've seen him live. I've I seen him live. Yep. I saw him, what, two or three years ago. I love classic rock. This Facebook user, let's see if I can. Charles Smith says, Jeremy, what's your all-time favorite vintage hockey card? Oh, Charles Ooh. Smith. Oh, I don't know. 
Wayne Gretzky rookie card. That's my easy answer. But I mean, if I'm going to go back further in time, I'm going to say the 23 Patterson Howie Morenz. Not from, I mean, the aesthetics are unique. It's black and white. Ah, oh, gosh. Uh, my ro rocket, Maurice Richard, rookie, 54 tops, 41, right? Beautiful. I mean, I like so many. I, I hate the question, what's your favorite card in your collection? Because I have like 300 favorites. So I, I don't just have one. But I appreciate the question, Charles. My favorite would probably be like Ken Dryden. So, sorry. So, what's that, Ryan? I, so I have some vintage hockey. I don't have anywhere near the collection you have, but I like the Ken Dryden rookie. It's really cool. The image yeah, that it. year is that's the 71 Opeachy and Topps cards are beautiful. Uh, Jeff says no tension. I think everyone is super friendly. That's a, that's nice to hear, Jeff. 100% agree with that. And glad to hear that that was your experience at the show. Valentini Kitchens is a kitchen renovator. Says uh, great show as always. Ryan is the real deal. I'm looking forward to watching his YouTube video. Seems very honest, and you can tell he's in it for the love of cards and not only money. Very true. Can Thank I ask you. what you guys think of what's going on with modern basketball market hitting the lowest point? Will the playoff start an uptrend? Thanks, guys. So I wanted to talk about this at the at the dinner, but this thing didn't get voted well, listen, on. It's more we than literally that. have a minute left before we're, the show is going to end. So, yeah. so um, let's just, Valentini, thanks for the question, but we're not going to address it right now. Let's look at your next comment. Props to Jeff and Sports Card Investors. I'm a Market Mover subscriber. Hope you hope to meet you in Toronto one day or the next big show or hopefully next year at the U.S. or National. National in the U.S. So, okay, man. Well, listen. This has been great, Ryan. Very Thank you for allowing me on here. Yeah. so much. I'm happy to have you. And you know what I'd like to do is you're traveling shows, man. Like, I know you have your own YouTube channel and you're successful and you've got a great channel. But if you're willing to come back and, uh, you know, I don't know, every so often and give us an update on your, you know, breakout cards, pulse of the market type of thing. What's going on? What are you seeing on the show floor from your perspective? Like almost be like a, like a, I'm, I'm actually like offering you a job as a correspondent <laughs> type of thing. What do you think? Uh, I, you I, for it? I, I, dude, I'm down for it. This would be a lot of fun. All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll chat more. We'll chat more. But I appreciate you coming on. It's been a lot of fun. I'm a fan of yours. I think you gained some fans tonight, which I'm really uh, proud to be able to, to help you garner. So that's really I, awesome. really I really appreciate it, Jeremy. Thank you so much. And anyone watching, if you took even a few seconds, you took a look at the YouTube channel. I, thank you guys so much. I mean, every sub matters. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Bobby Burrell, great show. Good night, Bobby. Thanks for tuning in as always, my friend. Big unit. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome, big unit. Thanks for, thanks for tuning thank in. Thank you, guys. All right, guys, what a great night. Thank you, everyone, for watching. If you watched the first show and this show, I, I thank you. Um, I'm going to be back on Wednesday night for the fourth month in a row covering the PWCC auction ending watch party for the hockey auctions. That'll be Wednesday night, and I'll be back on Saturday again. And uh, so, listen, have a great week ahead. Enjoy, the re enjoy your Sunday, everybody. Uh, Andy Max says, remember to promote hockey, coolest game on earth. Matthew Jones is a new breakout subscriber. Valentina, I've got a rare select Jokic numbered for you, Jeff, one day. Good night, <laughs> super bad. Good night, Tyler. Thanks for joining live hey, for the first time. Appreciate you. Super bad. Much appreciated, everyone. If you're watching from Dallas, I wish I was there with you all. Hope you all had a great show. Have a great final day tomorrow. And that's it. Everybody, good night, Ryan. Chill out one there, right there for one second. Good night. Good night everybody. See you guys. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.